Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a podcast on the San Antonio Spurs, brought to you by Kins 5, the official station of the Spurs. I'm Jackson Floyd, and joining me this week, we've got Evan Klosky. What up? And Tom Petrini. What's going on, guys? Tom, how are your, how are your top shots going? Uh, well, I'll be honest, I thought they only went up. It turns out they do go down, uh, but uh, it's all right. It'll, it'll go back up again. I've, I've got some, I've got a nice Jakob Pertl block that uh, I don't understand why it's so expensive. But, you know, <laughs> it's all right. These things happen. And uh, yeah, I'll, anytime you guys see me in public, like just come up to me and ask to see my, my digital collection. They say you can't like show people, but like, you know, you, you for sure can. So <laughs> whatever. So Tom, for about 10 days, has been trying to explain what Top Shot is to me. And I, I think I've just accepted my fate as, as the resident old guy on the pod because uh, it, it just it hasn't sunk in yet. It's over my head. It's oh, well. just basket stonks, man. It's just, it's just turning individual basketball plays into little cryptocurrency tokens. Uh, and... Uh, Speaking of stocks, you know, the last time we spoke, it really felt like that the Spurs were on the way to the moon, right? Uh, on an yeah. eight, seven and three run, and then uh, you know things happen, right? There uh, was a trading halt that really screwed things up. Black for, Friday, uh, if you will. Um, yeah, not, there. not great. This has been a, this has been a rough two weeks for the San Antonio market. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so just uh, Spurs fans know this, but you just so you guys know, since the last time we spoke, four Spurs players tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, five players were added to the health and safety protocols, those players being Quindary Weatherspoon, Derek White, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson. Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, that's the fifth one. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so the Spurs had three games postponed uh, in the middle of a hot streak for the Spurs, some of the best basketball we'd seen them play. Uh, I think, Tom, you said since the Kawhi years, you know, uh, a really good stretch for the team. And last night against the Thunder, we saw a shorthanded Spurs come out uh, uh, and, and it felt like, you know, progress had been halted, like you said. Uh, what did you guys take away? Tom, what, what, was the, the, what did the stop mean for this team and, and where they're heading this season? I mean, I'm not going to read too much into the result and performance last night. I think Pop said it really well. He was proud of the effort that they showed. Uh, the rotations were weird. They've never played these guys before. I mean, you know, any any game where you're getting Luka Shamanich starting in a, in a meaningful NBA game and, you know, Keita Bates-Diop and Trey Lyles getting sig- significant minutes um, – this is not uh, San Antonio's A squad out there. Um, nor they B definitely, squad. nor B squad really, uh, and they definitely looked a little tired. They definitely, uh, as Pop said, made too many mistakes that added up. And uh, you know, they they held OKC to one hundred and two, um, which is usually good enough to win an NBA game, but uh, they just couldn't put the ball in the hole. And certainly missed DeMar DeRozan and his shot creation, Derek White and his, Keldon Johnson and his. I mean, Devin Vassell, like they, Rudy Gay. They, they missed five of their best players and still had it within their grasp at uh, the, the last 10 seconds or so. And then, you know, as we saw at the end there, they, they coughed it up and 
lost a heartbreaker and a head scratcher. Um, Mm -hmm. So definitely a frustrating loss for the team. But uh, I like I saw some, you know, large scale takes about, you know, what that game meant, you know, for for people evaluating the team. And uh, you can't really put too much weight into it because it's one game with a whole bunch of mitigating factors. Yeah. And, and to build off of that, a common, a common theme that I'm hearing are, Hey, maybe we're going to see, you know, these, these COVID guys back soon. Um, you know, we're, we're talking right now on a Thursday, so we won't see the injury report until tomorrow. My assumption, my assumption and hunch is that DeMar will be back Saturday it's they're going to be home for the last four games of the season. It just, you know, it just kind of makes sense. I guess he can come back at the start of next week and maybe miss this next game. But, you know, um, just going off of what happened the last time that DeMar was, was dealing with um, personal issues. And, and of course, uh, this time around, it is the death of his father. So uh, he's going to take whatever time is necessary for him and his family um, but he, you know, when that did happen, he missed uh, Minnesota, he missed Oklahoma City, and then he came back for the home game. So that's just a hunch. Um, but you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you can never put a timetable on it, and he's got to do what's best for him. Um, as for the other guys, uh, I did a I did a whole investigation before we figured out who the four players were. We didn't know that there was actually a fifth, um, and, and we don't know what that situation is with the fifth. Uh, that fifth one popped up positive later as well, or was inconclusive because if it's inconclusive, they're also held out as well. Um, but, you know, we have seen the San Antonio Spurs deal with a COVID issue before. Uh, they did it with Becky, with Drew Eubanks, and a third staff member, which um, we still don't know who it was, um, but not part of the team aspect of things. I think it was just part of the traveling party. Anyway, uh, with Becky Hammond returning to the bench as a coach, as a coach, it took two weeks. And you have to remember, um, these individuals are stuck in quarantine for 10 days. Um, So I think just now, the players who have been in quarantine who popped up positive are just returning back to San Antonio from their time in Charlotte. You know, that happened on uh, a Monday because they played a Sunday game. And um, that, you know, by Wednesday, that would have been your 10 days, 10 day stint. So look, when you're in a hotel room for 10 days, you don't have the ability to condition, you know, you can try and run in place all you want. It's just not the same. So what happened is with, with Drew Eubanks, uh, when we, we hearken back to what his situation was, uh, it took Drew Eubanks 18 days to get back on the court and play for the San Antonio Spurs, or at least be available I should say now um, with Drew, he isn't a main rotational player, so you can take his time. Um, also, you know, 18 days, it's really like a week. It all depends on how the schedule flares out. But, um, you know, that, that, that pretty much takes us to the end of the first half of the season. If, if Wednesday is the 10th day and we go to the next week, uh, pretty much that last Oklahoma City game is really, I think, the only chance we have to see any of these COVID players return. Now, they're eligible to return at the beginning of next week, as long as they're uh, asymptomatic and they pass all their tests, yada, yada, yada. They're eligible to return for those games against Brooklyn and New York. But having said that, 
I have a tough time believing that the San Antonio Spurs are going to throw out um, some of their best players, uh, you know, at least COVID-wise, because I think DeMar, at least right now, can be training and getting his conditioning up. Uh, those four, I, I doubt that, that Pop and company are going to throw out some of their four best players um, when they're not ready, when they're not up to snuff conditioning-wise. Derek has dealt with injuries already. Can't see him getting pushed. Vassell, young piece. Keldon, young piece. Rudy, old piece. So whatever it might be, you know, it just makes no sense for an organization that has always done right for the players to throw them out there when they're not 100%. Um, might as well just ride out the first half of the season without them, get their conditioning up. They'll have another week to make sure that they're ready. They'll get a couple practices in before the season starts, and, and away we go. But this notion that it's just going to be a couple of games, I, I think, is not the truth. I, I think San Antonio fans have to buckle in for a five games of dealing with these 10 players and then hopefully these 10 players that there's no other injury that pops up or whatnot. And, and, you know, you can hope that by last game that maybe you see some of these guys in, in a, in a 10 to 15 minute role, but beyond that, um, it's really going to be the goal of winning two out of the last five games, tough situation against the thunder couldn't pull it out. But as Tom mentioned, they, the energy was there. They, they worked their tails off these rotations just have never been used before. It shouldn't be used again after this. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So all takes are being put on the back burner. Hope for the best. And San Antonio Spurs fans, whoever wanted to think like, hey, like, let's tank and see how it looks. Like, this is what a tanking situation is for a lot of organizations. Yeah, it could change kind of the, the process, the thought process the organization puts into the trade deadline, you know. I mean, going into last night's game, the Spurs were a couple games out of the three seed in the West, but at the same, to at the same token, they were three games out of the tenth seed, right? You know, it's such a tight competition there. Um, and, and losing four valuable players, really valuable players, five on the team, and then, you know, also DeRozan being out, and of course our thoughts are with him and his family, uh, that, that can kind of change your thought process. Um, I, I agree. I think this may be a, a, a situation where the Spurs are cautious. You know, this is a cautious organization. They've always proceeded with caution, and, you know, sometimes that leads to, um, you know, a star, star player kind of leaving the team um, in, in the Kawhi Leonard situation, but, you know, they don't rush people back. Um, and, and when that uh, when they're worried about conditioning for these players, you know, they're going to take the time to figure that out. Evan, you were one of the early investors in um, this team's depth being a strength, you know, that this team can roll 11 deep, that their bench is one of the strongest lineups in the league. You know, when they roll out their second unit, this lineup of death, they have sacrificing that death, uh, that depth. Uh, I mean, is kind of a necessity for them right now as they figure out newer rotations. Uh, and, and that's not going to play well for them in, in the long run. Cause I think that second team, that second team is what was propelling them to a lot of these victories here. Uh, so what happens in the next three or four games as they approach this halfway mark and then whether or not they can gel and get back into that rhythm it is going to really shape uh, this, this team's playoff chances. Uh, I still think they're, they're in the hunt for it in the long run. Uh, Cause they're going to get these guys back and we'll talk about the second half of the schedule too. But uh, it, it definitely, I think it opens up, the idea more to trading a guy like DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge if, if you get good value for that. Um, yeah, and and just, to, just to say, you know, look, it's going to get worse before it gets better, all right? I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful that the Spurs will be able to squeak out one win here, yeah. um, maybe two. I'll say this, with the lineups now that they're putting out there with how 
how big they are, they have to now transition into that style. So what we saw from Oklahoma City was they shot 18 of 44 from deep. Um, the Spurs aren't a team that gives up a lot of three-pointers. Uh, that's, you know, they're, they're top five in the league or something like that um, with the amount of attempts that other teams make. Now, if we want to talk about accuracy, that's, that's a different story. But the Spurs normally don't give a lot of three-point looks up. But because the Spurs have so many players who are, are long, I mean, Lyles, Aldridge, Pirtle, Eubanks, Keita Bates-Diop, Lucas Shamanich, six of the ten guys are just lanky, lanky big bodies. And then you have DeJounte and his six-foot-ten wingspan. So, I mean, you got, uh, like, a lot of dudes here who are going to get their mitts in passing lanes, and, and it's going to be really tough to drive on these guys. So now that that sort of look actually – like works against a team like the Knicks who are very big and invest in every single guy over six foot eight, you know, that's what they do. Um, But that is something that they need to transition into because there was a lot of pinching. I felt like from like Lyles would be at the top of the paint at the top of the key. And he would, he would heavily pinch as someone was trying to drive and like guys like Patty always do that too. And they, they overextend on the pinch. You don't have to pinch as much anymore because you have like Pirtle and Shamanich or, or Pirtle and Eubanks or Pirtle and LaMarcus. I mean, you got big bodies who are about to step up and stop you. So it's not as much of an emphasis now as it is when you have your normal lineups and you're running small ball a little bit more, but that's just part of the adjustments that I think we're noticing when we watched that first Oklahoma city game. So I think one thing was a Oklahoma city, really struggled getting into the paint. And the numbers show that. I mean, the Spurs had one of their best performances of defending the paint uh, this season. Having said that, they also gave up a lot of three-pointers. So that's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans do with guys like, you know, uh, Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, as they're going to have probably a lot of open looks. That could be a problem. Um, having, having said that, you know, you mentioned the second lineups. And I think I loved what DeJounte was doing as an initiator, playing that DeMar DeRozan role. I mean, the offense looked just fine with DeJounte leading it. When he was taken out, that was a problem. The offense was terrible without DeJounte Murray. And I thought Lonnie got into a rhythm there at at some points in this game, being like, hey, I got to step up more. I think LaMarcus, for a small time there, said, hey, I'm getting into a rhythm. I got to step up more. But – DeJounte was really that engine for the offense. And once he was gone, I mean, it just, it's just different because I, I like what Trey Jones does uh, right now, but, you know, he's, he's not a threat to score. You know, nobody's scared of what he's going to do off the shot, uh, you know, dribble shooting. It's just he, he's a guy who's going to facilitate. So it's just, it's just a totally different system, and guys have to be more aggressive in that second unit. That's why I want Lucas Shamanich actually off the bench. Because I think he's a, I think he's a stellar offensive player who can who can hunt his own shots, create for himself, and that is what the second unit needs. So, so I'm, I think Luca going to this, the bench unit, and I don't want to hear like that's a demotion. I don't view it as a demotion. I view it as an elevation in his role because I think he would be more of an offensive threat and given more keys to the car in the second unit than right now in the first unit where Dejounte's working with Yak, and that's that's kind of been a nice tandem 
I think one thing that we, we do need to talk about that's way bigger than any, you know, player result from last night in terms of wins and losses was, um, I mean, you guys can check me if you think I'm wrong, but from the way that LaMarcus Aldridge and Coach Pop and DeJounte and Yak and everybody else has talked about LaMarcus Aldridge coming off the bench for his first time since his rookie year, um, that does not seem to be a temporary arrangement. Um, you know, like none of, none of them answered the question directly. Uh, you, can, you can go in the post-game story and, and watch all of the videos, and they were all asked, you know, is, is this like a permanent thing? And nobody answered that question directly. Uh, but the answers to other questions all sort of pointed in the same direction. Aldridge is talking about it like it's his new role at work that he's trying to learn how to do. And one thing that he mentioned was, you know, for 15 years or so, he's had the first couple of minutes of the game to get into a flow, feel things out, you know, the gates open and you go. And now for the first time, he's trying to figure out how to just jump into a game that's already flowing, which is different. And I'm sure a challenge for him. Um, we, we've talked a lot about Jakob Pertl's strides, Aldridge's regression on defense. Um, Jackson, we were talking before about a Franken player where, you know, if you could just put Aldridge's offensive game into Jakob Pertl's body with everything else that Jakob has, he would be great. Uh, and I think we did more that, than talk about it. I think we, we made it. We morphed it. On, on you, <laughs> you made a cursed image that – Combined the faces of LaMarcus Aldridge and Jakob Pertl, and we can, we can put it out there. I was shocked at how, like, the same they looked. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like it's, it's really uncanny. Um, well, but Jakob uh, uh, Pertridge, I think is what, L- L- Jakob Pertridge, I think is that what we, we coined it, maybe? Yeah. I don't know what, what this L- we L- is. Jakob but... L- Pertridge? Yeah, kinda... we'll, we'll work out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, Pirtle owned up to making a mistake on the last play of that game last night, said, you know, that it's, it's a learning thing for him. And, and uh, he went for the steal. He should have uh, fouled him harder uh, as, as he went for that because they had one to give. Um, but, like, this was a long-term goal for him to, to become a starter. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of conversation about Aldridge and his role on this team – has been like the idea that he would never accept a bench role, right? And um, you know, I I was never. I'm, I might have said never. I don't think I said never, but in my head, I was I was like, that would be great if they could get Jakob Pertl into the starting lineup where he's making all of this defensive impact. But I don't know how that how. Aldridge would, you know, accept that role. Apparently, he's uh, taking it like a pro and, you know, being great mentor for the young guys, keeping a smile on his face. Um, and I also think it's just a way better situation for him in terms of, like, playing and getting buckets and doing what he does. Like, him starting at the five, he's not going to get to post anybody up, really. Uh, backup four, however, barbecue chicken. He's in there. 
you know? Um, and I asked him after the, after the game, like, does that change your approach? And he was like, no, not really. Like, he, he actually took it the other way. He said, if I'm playing the four and Yak or Drew is playing the five and applying pressure at the rim, that means I can, you know, space out more and not worry too much about that part of the game. Um, so it opens up different things for him. And by the way, he's not getting completely exposed on defense, or if he does, it's, you know, Isaiah Roby taking the shot and not Christian Wood. Mm-hmm. So um, I, think that's, I think that's where you hit the nail on the head too, because putting LaMarcus in a second unit, first off, I, I want to say this because Spurs fans have never forgiven LaMarcus Aldridge for the, you know, the, I won out of San Antonio move that he had a few years back and, you know, reconciled with pop. San Antonio fans have never, never let him live that down. But I don't know what more Spurs fans want from LaMarcus. The guy this entire year is proving he's willing to do whatever he's got to do for the team. He's not putting up a stink. He's not complaining, not being a brat. You want more threes? I'll shoot more threes. You want me to be on the bench? I'll be on the bench. So, so I think he deserves some credit here. You know, he really is adjusting to what the Spurs want. And I think the Spurs are a better team with LaMarcus on the bench. And I think LaMarcus is a better player with him on the bench. He's going to thrive. First off, you know, just like we talked about the Spurs depth, um, playing second units, he should cook those players. And on top of that, he shouldn't get cooked by other players. Uh, you know, you're not going to go up against the Steph Curry's off pick and rolls or John ja Morant's. It's just not going to be as complicated for him. And, and we saw it last night. There are moments where people, people try to go at him. And if you're going to go downhill on LaMarcus Aldridge, he's still a good rim protector in that world for the most part. He still can do his job, uh, certainly not at a negative level of what we've seen in his starting role. Um, yes. If he like Roby presented uh, some sort of mismatches, which I don't think Roby took advantage of enough. You know, Roby was smaller, could shoot threes, could definitely work LaMarcus off the dribble. And then, you know, the one I posted on Twitter was him just like in the final seconds of, of the half driving towards the rim. Like, dude, all you have to do is like stop, pull up, wide open shot. And that's really the downfall of LaMarcus is to change of speeds if you get him in an ISO. But, you know, to – we, we know that Jakob getting like 30-some-odd minutes and LaMarcus getting 12 to 15, I mean, that, that seems to be the honey area. And I, and I think that, you know, as, as LaMarcus kind of rides off into the sunset of his NBA career and maybe has one or, you know, max two more seasons left in him, you know, that's sort of the role that he's going to have to play on a, on a championship-winning team. Yeah, and you're right in the fact that he has been uh, very accepting this year in, in terms of working out what he needs to do for the team, taking on other roles, trying new things out, knowing that the game is evolving and he needs to evolve to it, and the team is evolving and he has to evolve to it. All that being said, and I do think that coming off the bench is going to be great for him in the long run. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he was starting the next game, just based on the, the depth issues this team has, you know, as, as they work things out. I don't know if starting Shamanich was the answer this time around, but uh, Evan, what did you think uh, of the, the guy, second year player's second start? Uh, uh, for the Spurs. So, yeah, I, again, I'm of the belief that I think Shamanet should come off the bench. And that's not to say that I didn't like what I saw in some of the things that Shamanet did. You know, it's a matter of unlocking his, his best basketball. And in that starting lineup, I just, I felt like he was the 
third, fourth option offensively. And, and Luca's offensive game is NBA ready. That's what he does well. I mean, you can put on any of the, G, the seven games from the G League from, from Shamanich. I mean, if he, if he gets a smaller dude on him, barbecue chicken, as Tom would say. <laughs> uh, I mean, he had those beautiful... I invented that, by the way. That's trademarked. I love Tom it. Tom Petrini original. I love it. Uh, those, so, you know, we saw those two, like, beautiful baskets where, you know, he drew contact and just bullied his way for a bucket. And I think we need more of that, which is why I want him in the second unit. <laughs> just the offensive creation in that second unit was horrendous. But here's my other thing with Luca. Um, still... And I think this is just the way that he is and the way that he plays. I mean, I see, I saw it too in the G League too, where he doesn't get like, you know, he's not in, he's like the antithesis of Keldon Johnson out there. You know, Keldon wears his heart on his sleeve and the energy is just pouring out of him. And, and Luca just kind of like, you know, moves in silence a bit. And I would like him to be a bit more assertive. And I know that's scary for him coming, coming up and, you know, ha- you know, having the keys to the car in the G League and now playing a, a role that Pop wants him to play. But um, I-, I think he has – offensively, he shouldn't worry about that. I think right now with what the Spurs have offensively, like let it rip. Like I want to see you take some shots. Uh, having said that, um, defensively, I-, I said this in the G League too, his on-ball defense is not bad. I think he's a good on-ball defender. And, and I posted a clip – he actually works really well off screens. He has one where, I don't know if you know, like dogs moving through those poles and going like <laughs> in and out, right? He had a screen where he went under and over and didn't, like, didn't even break stride. It was like, boom, right in position. It was beautiful. I mean, Dort had nowhere to go. And Dort was a non-factor the entire first half. Um, and and not, they didn't really give him a chance, but, but I don't think Shamich allowed him to have a chance either. My issues with, with Luca are his off-ball defense. He is still a step slower, and he's still guessing on what to do off the ball. So, you know, for example, and again, you can, you can head to my Twitter if you, if you want to see it, because I, I post and you have the video there. But um, the ball is on the other side of the court, and Luca is defending Dort as, you know, as, as his wing player on the opposite side. He's creeping, he's creeping towards the paint. And while he's creeping towards the paint, he kind of gets stuck under a screen. And it's like, ah, crap. Now, luckily, Lyles tips the ball uh, on a pass um, going out towards a rotation. And Luca almost gets the steal. Luca then recovers on Dort. Then to the point where Dort passes the ball. And Luca just stands there as DeJounte helped, you know, Luca in that recovery. Dort moves out to the three-point line, and Luca has no idea whether to follow Dort to the three-point line or to man the paint for the guy who was about to drive. So he stands there for a second, and then he's like, oh, crap, okay, I'm going to go to Dort. He makes a step to Dort, and then the guy is driving towards the paint. And he's like, oh, crap, let me help here. And by that time, it's too late, and he can't contest a shot. So part of that is miscommunication within new lineups and not being comfortable. But that's sort of the stuff that I've seen from Luca on the off ball is just the indecision being a second too slow, which then screws up a rotation and it it comes down to communication, all these things, but you know, defensively speaking and for Luca, the way that he's going to earn time from Greg Popovich is, is honing those, 
those tiny details, the rotations, the off-ball defense. That is one of the toughest transitions to make to the NBA, and that is my concern. And I think that's why you don't see Popovich play him at the end of the games because he's, you know, he's someone that he's not confident in is going to make the right rotation during a defensive possession, even though Patty kind of, you know, let Dort out there to hang alone by himself. But overall, um, I thought one of – I saw growth, you know, when, when Luca got into some other games, he kind of felt like he was a lost puppy. I don't feel like he was a lost puppy out there. I felt like he was ready for the moment. I just think he's a guy that, that has certain areas where he's got to be more assertive. And I think he's got areas where he needs to grow, which is why we've always talked about next year being the time to evaluate Luca because of the project that he is, but overall um, encouraged. I would say that he, he certainly looked like he belonged and that's what I wanted to say. Um, do, you, do you think there's value in keeping him around this team more or does he belong in the G League where he's proven that he's a bona fide stud pulling down m- double digit rebounds on a nightly basis and, and eating everyone's lunch uh, as, as a better player than a lot of these G League guys? Or does he need to be around guys like Keldon who, who, who can show him how to let loose and, and be more energy and be yourself kind of thing and, and, and develop that chemistry? So I think that the G League run that he went on in the, in the bubble here, I mean, he was averaging like 22 and 11. Um, but, but it's not like the games were perfect, right? Like there, there were definitely stretches where he was less effective and finding his way. And I mean, in the fourth quarters of these G league games, he's keyed multiple comebacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the shot's been a little inconsistent. The, the defensive issues that we've talked about, you know, I, I don't know that he's quite there yet in terms of like, you know, he, he needs to be getting NBA minutes now. Like, and, and when everybody's back healthy, I don't know if he will, because, you know, there, there are a lot of qualified people. Um, so I guess the answer to that question really depends on the role that he would play, um, because the reps that he's getting in the G League have helped, without a doubt. Um, you know, a lot of Spurs fans want to, like, dump on this guy because he's in the G League and was a high draft pick. Like, yeah, they're, they're taking the the long view with him. Um, and, I mean, the two buckets that he got last night, um, both really good footwork, both lowering the shoulder and, and creating some space physically. And that's not something that he did, like – really even at the G league level last year, you know, like he's put on muscle and he feels a lot more confident using it. Um, I got to say that matchup with Dort, like, I don't know that you could pick two more differently built wing players in today's (laughs) NBA. Like I'm pretty, I'm looking at it right now and they've got Lou Dort listed at 215. I think that's low. I think they're both probably around like 225 uh, and Luke has got about five inches on him. Um, but the way he moves out there is, uh, you know, really, really fun to watch. Um, and, and yeah, that, that one defensive play you were talking about, Evan, I mean, he's, he's not this clunky big man on the perimeter who can't move his feet. He's, uh, he's got a skill on that end as well. So um you know, I, I don't think anybody saw him start in place of DeRozan and thought, you know, oh, he's going to be a starter now. Um, at least moving forward with these tougher, 
you know, rotations and lineups and things, maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I think that down the road for this team, like later in the season, if they're when they're making a run, then he might be a little bit more important, especially if he can go back to the double and get some more reps in it and continue to build that confidence, build that muscle. Um, I'm I'm high on Lucas Lucas Hamish. I like the kid. I think he's going to wind up being quite good. Um, I I think he's still got a long way to go, and that's okay. Like, because as we've said many times on this show, we're we're not like expecting immediate returns from this guy. It's a it's a long play. So I I was really encouraged by the um, physicality that he showed last night, and um, I mean, if if he improves that off-ball awareness and understanding, like with Devin Vassell, that's that seems to just naturally come to him the same way the offensive game naturally comes to Luca in a way that it really doesn't for most players, his size. Um, and the other stuff you have to work on the stuff that doesn't come naturally, you have to work on. And if he puts work into studying the film and understanding where he needs to, not just where he needs to be on defense, but that communication with his teammates. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a 610 plus wingspan weak side help defender who could really cause some problems for people. Um, and, and yeah, when I, when I saw Patty on that last play, I thought about what might have gone differently if you had a guy who's about a foot taller closing out. Before we get to that last play, I just want to say, yeah, you know, I am, I am also someone who, who has made it very obvious on this podcast that I'm very high on Shamanich as well, uh, called him a, a more valuable asset to this team in the long run than Vassell. Uh, I do think there's a lot of value in him growing in the G League uh, and in the bubble there. The gubble, the jubble, is it hard G or soft G? Um, it's you have the to, gubble, it's a hard G. Okay, well, you have to explain that to me because G League, but anyways, um, <laughs> I, I, I do think there's a lot of value if you could just, you know, make him... Keldon Johnson's roommates on the road trips, you know, make Keldon Johnson and just have Luca and Keldon bumping Mariah Carey albums uh, in their room and, and just have them kind of loosen up a little bit would be good for him. Uh, I've, but I've been thinking about Keldon just in his like hotel room in Charlotte doing handstand pushups and then taking a break to DM Mariah Carey. Like that's probably what he's been doing for two weeks. So what's the line there on DMs Keldon has sent to Mariah in the last 10 days? I, uh, over 10? Under I, 10? I mean, over 10. It, it depends how, how reciprocal it is because like, you know, I, I can, I can picture them going back and forth. They got a lot to talk about. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, we, we've been, we've been uh, delaying uh, this conversation about this final play. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, we, we can only vent about, we can only uh, vamp on Mariah Carey for so long. Um, I, 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 I don't know how much value there is in breaking down every single piece of it. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to Dort hit a great shot. Uh, he didn't have a good first half, but as they say, Dort is inevitable. Um, uh, uh, but there, there was a little bit of a, a rotational uh, a conversation about the rotation there at the end. Uh, and I think we all kind of keyed in on something uh, on that play. Evan, what stood out to you uh, on that final defensive breakdown? Uh, overall, I just, to me, when it comes down to the Thunder game, there were a lot of players who stepped up uh, in a really crappy situation. I think DeJounte Murray's aggressiveness was awesome to see. I really thought that he was a leader out there. Uh, we saw some great things from Keita Bates-Diop. 
I thought that he's a dude where I'm intrigued. Um, you know, I, I thought he actually was pretty good defensively looking at the, the film that I've seen. Um, and then as far as some other, some other role players, I mean, Patty down the stretch outside of the last uh, offensive and defensive possession, I thought really stepped up as well. Uh, and so there were a lot of things, there were a lot of examples where players stepped up in a moment where they needed to. Uh, Yaka Pirtle did not, and that's not to crap on him or say that I'm off the Yaka bandwagon. I am very much on the Yaka bandwagon. I think he's a tremendous player, but it's very, it's very evident that the legs aren't underneath him right now. And even though he was a solid rim protector, which is what he's always going to be every single game, uh, missed like three layups, a tip in. And the, the risk at that point in the game was not worth it. It wasn't. Jakob, you're like one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Arguably the best defensive player in the NBA, according to advanced, advanced analytics. You don't have to do that stuff. Because in the end, you tipping that ball away isn't going to result in points in the opposite direction. Like, you're not going to – you don't have the speed or the handles to push that ball up. Um, and anyway, by the time that anybody gets that ball, you're going into overtime. The, the key is to get the stop, right? Get in position, get the stop. And by, by f- taking that risk, he, he put the team in a compromising position where Patty had to make a, a, a split second decision, a decision where I don't think he was prepared to make it. I think he just, you know, his gut said Horford has an open lane to the basket. I got to challenge him. And I don't blame Patty for that. I, I think, I think, if my instincts were, were in Patty's shoes, I would have done the same thing where I got to contest. Now, you know, I think Patty's got to be a bit more disciplined where he's got to at least chop his feet or something. I mean, you know, Horford took one dribble and immediately saw Patty and was like, Boop. I mean, it was not even a hard decision for Horford. You know, uh, it would have been nice if maybe Patty would have maybe just lunged and came back to Dort. But in the end, why is Patty on Dort? I mean, like, that's a mismatch anyway. And, and, I, and I know that Dort is a 32% three-point shooter, and it sucks that he went four of seven last night. Like, that's just bad luck. But if you analyze the end of that game, Dort had three-pointer, three-pointer, missed three-pointer, which went in and out. It should have went in, and then got an open look. The guy was in a rhythm, you know? And when a guy's in a rhythm, that's a problem. It's not like some random three-pointer he's hoisting up. Like, the dude was getting consistent looks. So for him to just have that wide open shot, I just, you know, you had a timeout. You could have easily taken taken Patty out, put put somebody else on Dort. You could have put Kata Bates-Diop on Dort. I mean, I don't know what it is, but Patty on Dort was not the move. And and maybe they just figured that Patty on Dort, um, there was no way that Dort would be involved in that play, and that's why he was kind of out there. But, you know, that's all predicated off the fact that Yak took an unnecessary risk at a pivotal moment of the game. So um, I love Jakob, but um, was arguably his worst game in a Spurs uniform. Like when you talk Oof. about the, the amount, of, the amount of, of importance he played in that game and how important his role was and the necessity for Jakob to bring his A game, I think it was the worst game Jakob Pertl has ever played in a Spurs uniform. Ouch, baby. Yeah. Very yeah. ouch. I do. I think about like honestly though, if Jakob if Jakob plays a B game last night, they win. I I, I truly believe that. He played 30 plus yeah. minutes and he just was he was absolutely a, a mess offensively. Like he couldn't finish a layup. 
and that's yeah, the, the problem. The lay, the layups were tough, especially when he could have just dunked it, and uh, you know. So and and then there was there was one swing in particular where uh, SGA got away with like an obvious hook on one end, scored yep. on him. I remember. And that. then on the other end, pick and roll. Yox got a clear lane to the basket, and he goes up soft instead of dunking it. He gets pushed from behind, so it it doesn't go. And then he's turning around looking for the foul, and it's like, what are you going to do with foul shots, dude? You're yeah. shooting thirty percent from the line. Just dunk it. Like that. That's that's going to be like literally. That's the biggest part of his game. That if he can just do that, it'll it'll add so much to what he brings. As far as the last play goes. Um, initially when I saw it, I, I said the same exact thing. Like, you know, he gambled way too much for that ball. When I asked him about it and asked Patty about it, um, they had a foul to give. Right. And Patty said, you know, I saw the pass coming in and it was in the air for a long time. Like, I understand why Yak went for that. But when I asked Yak, he said, you know, he was going for the steal or foul because they had one to give. And he wound up getting neither when he really was in position to foul him. And then Patty on the help, you know, he knew that they had a foul to give as well. But the play the play that he the help defense that he played, which by the way, Patty's help defense on perimeter players has always been mm-hmm. in- Yep. Um, and, and fairly ineffective. But if, if you watch the way that he helps on that, he does it in a way that like doesn't really help much because mm-hmm. he could have, he could have gone into Horford's body, fouled him before Dort shoots it. And then they're taking it out on the side again. You know, he, he could have, like you said, dug and then got back. He could have gone for the passing lane. Um, and, and it looked like he was, like a couple inches away from tipping the pass. Um, the other part of it is even though Pirtle gambled and lost, he recovered pretty well. Um, and it, it was a, a decent lane to the basket, but Pirtle was closing it pretty quickly. And I mean, he had, he was torturing Al Horford under the basket there was one sequence where he tried to post him up he blocked him on a shot and then like just went right up to get in a in a poster and it it clanged off the rim um his his interior defense was good in this game so um i i don't blame patty for helping but the way that he helped ensured that lou dort got a wide open shot for the win and you know like you said um, like we've, we've seen Patty on the floor for game deciding defensive possessions for a while now. Um, and, you know, maybe that doesn't happen if other guys are healthy. Um, I would hope it doesn't happen if other guys are healthy. Uh, and especially in this scenario, I mean, if other guys are healthy, I don't see how he's playing with three. Point nine yeah. seconds left. Uh, you know, Derek White's out. Derek White's probably on door, to be honest, you know? Yeah. So, White, DeMar's out there, Yak, uh, DeJounte, and I don't know. I mean, I would have I would have Vassell in that situation, but 
I mean, we know what happens if White's out there. He, he's the guy who is rolling to Horford, and then he takes a charge, right? And that's how the game ends. How cursed of a year Derek White's having? Like, oh, man. I was, I was Poor, to see the other day. I was looking at it uh, earlier today. Only played eight games this season. You know, just can't get, can't get himself on the court. Can't stay uh, in the lineup there. Uh, there's a lot to, to talk about in that last play. And uh, I think we've no, uh, identified a few things that kind of went, went on and went down. It's just a, a broken down play there. But, you know, as the organization would say, it's on to the next one. Uh, and this team has a few more games before the second half of the schedule, uh, which was released this week. And uh, before we end the podcast, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what lies ahead for the Spurs. Tom, you did a pretty good deep dive. Pretty good. Tom, you did a really good deep dive uh, on the Ken's website there for us uh just talking about what remains for the spurs uh you broke it down into the good the bad and the ugly the good being half of the opponents left are under 500 the bad being the last 12 games are an absolute gauntlet and the ugly a lot of back-to-backs a quarter of their games are sega babas tom tell us about the second half of the schedule oh man it looks rough it looks it it looks like not fun times um so they're playing, I believe it was 40 games in 68 days. Um, yeah. Jackson shaking his head. Shaking his head no or shaking his head no, you're right. In, no, that sounds yeah. horrible. San, San, San Antonio and Memphis are both screwed. Yeah, yeah. so, so they, they have 68 days for 40 games, which means they're playing literally half of their games or either the first or second of a back-to-back. Uh, and then they don't have a, more than a day off between any of these games. Um, they're playing uh, some really good teams um, from both conferences, and especially toward the second half of the second half of the schedule. Uh, like, Jackson, you were talking to me about it the other day, and like you were, you were talking about something on that side of the schedule that looked like, you know, a 12 game stretch or whatever that looked really hard. I was looking at the other half of it and like, that looks really hard. The last 20 games for the Spurs are like rough. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially when you consider that they're going to be uh, just in a, in a meat grinder of a schedule, like in terms of just playing the games Um they're going to have to absolutely take care of business in the games that um, they're playing inferior opponents. They're at a point now where, um, you know, the, the schedule will not be kind to them down the stretch and they're going to need to uh, hope some of those last dozen teams are resting guys, I think, uh, you know, which might happen because uh, they're, I, I mean, they've got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Utah twice, I think. They finished the game with two games against Phoenix, a back-to-back at home. Um, just like like really tough teams. Um, but as we know, at the end of an NBA schedule, those really tough teams could turn into really easy ones uh, if, if the game doesn't mean anything to them. Um I think it's going to be a lot about managing minutes and everybody's energy and health. Um, and I, I think that that's, you know, that's another benefit, I guess, of Aldridge going to the bench is, you know, the wear and like, I don't know if his body would have 
held up uh, for a full season of starting and playing, you know, 28 minutes a game and, and um, you know, the, the wear and tear on his body, it's already been a lot. Um, so I think the main thing is just get healthy, stay healthy, keep pounding the rock. Um, there, this is still a very good team. Um, and I, I fully expect them to be uh, in the hunt, if not for a guaranteed playoff spot, then certainly for a play-in opportunity. Um, but yeah, they, the, the, the coronavirus uh, trading halt has screwed things up in more ways than one for the Spurs here. Yeah, and I want to mention that uh, per tankathon, um, the Spurs have the fifth hardest remaining schedule left, mm-hmm. and um, that uh, it's the, the fourth in the in the West. But above them is Houston, Minnesota, and the Lakers. And Houston, Minnesota are going to be layups for a lot of teams down the stretch. So that's a problem, um, especially since the Spurs haven't won a second end of a back-to-back this entire season. And so they've looked nine, awful in those games. Yeah, and not even like a, like literally like that version of the Spurs. Um, they're drafting Kate Cunningham. So, uh, like, that's kind of what we're dealing with. So they got nine of those. So if we're judging off of what we've seen, you can expect them to go, like, one and eight, two and seven in those games. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to miraculously um, turn it around on, that, on those stretches, but I, it's not good. I, I will say in the first half of the schedule – their um, their opponent's second game of the back-to-back was not very lucky. They, I think they only had three cases where they were playing somebody who was coming to take on the Spurs on the second end of a back-to-back. Um, I tweeted this out, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. Now, in the second half of the schedule, they play 12 teams when they're on the second end of a back-to-back. And on five of those occasions, the Spurs are also on a second end of a back-to-back. So really, um, five of the nine, you're going up against a team that's also tired. So that's, that's not bad. That, that's not bad. So at least, you know, you're going to have a similar situation to deal with. And seven situations where at least you're getting a team that's tired and you're quote-unquote fresh because you had a day off. <laughs> Um, it's, it's certainly going to be hell, but I also want to mention that it's not like other teams in the NBA are, are kind of floating by living pretty because they didn't have any COVID issues. I, I looked at the Lakers schedule, a team that I don't think is in any coronavirus issues. They played all their games and they have four occasions where they have two days off and they also, I think they play seven back-to-backs. So it's like every team is going to be tired near the end of the season. And as Tom mentioned, every team is going to be tired at the end of the season, and the Spurs schedule is backloaded. So you, one would assume that if teams are trying to prepare for the playoffs and haven't had much rest – Maybe they're going to rest their players a couple of times. Maybe there might be limited minutes here or there, especially a team like Brooklyn at the end of the season. You know, I I would be shocked on the second end of a back-to-back if Brooklyn comes to San Antonio and you see the big three playing. I just don't see it. I I would be 
shocked if we'd see two of them. I think you're going to probably get one of the three and they're going to, you know, that one probably sits out the game prior. Like they're just going to have to manage it. So uh, it's going to be a weird season. And remember just because the second half of the back, like the second half of the season set in stone, but there is no more leeway. The schedule is airtight. So maybe a team like the Lakers could have a game canceled and you schedule it um, somewhere in those two day off days. But like, we're going to probably have a handful of teams not reaching 72 games. It's going to come down to winning percentage. No different than kind of last year, how it worked out at the end. And it's going to be what it is. Um, so, you know, I hope, I hope uh, you guys enjoyed the, the last 10 days where you didn't have Spurs basketball. Um, I know all of us did not here in San Antonio with the weather that previous week. Uh, probably could have used distraction. But now that that is over, you know, buckle in because after the Thursday, Friday off day, the Spurs, you know, have the all-star break, but they never have another situation where they have two days in between games. So we are all going to have a lot of basketball to watch, which is going to be fun. What we see on the court is another story, but, you know, you know, there's a lot of negativity around it. And I want to also present the positive, which is if the Spurs get on a roll, Maybe it's good that they, they keep on playing, you know? Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're playing well and things are clicking, keep on playing, you know? so I just want to say I don't understand the artificial time constraint that the NBA has placed itself under and, you know, decided, all right, well, we need to finish the season by this date. Why? Well, I think it's to get to get out of the way for the Olympics. You know, I think yeah. having Olympic basketball and having these players there is important to them. But there's yeah. a chance the Olympics don't happen this year, right? You know, that's been a conversation I, I think, that the officials have been having. So yeah, so obviously it's the Olympics. One, the players, uh, not necessarily the American players, but for all the international players, they take great pride in playing for their countries. It's very important to them. So I know it's something that the yeah. players' association wants. They want their players to be available for the Olympics. I would not be surprised if the Olympics get canceled or pushed back that, you know, maybe the league gives more leeway, but they're not going to do that until there's a definitive answer for the Olympics. So, the so side, then, monetarily speaking, NBA doesn't want to go up against the Olympics for ratings either, because that's just going to be a waste. You're going to have the NBA playoffs going up against the Olympics and that's your moneymaker right there going up against another moneymaker. It's not going to work. So that's, the that other makes thing. sense. Yeah, no, I, I guess then, you know, then the question becomes, why don't you just play less games? And then the answer is money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, dumb questions asked by me, answered by you guys. But it, it really just feels like, uh, one, the product's not going to be as good as it could be if these guys were all well-rested. Two, it's an injury concern. And we've already seen a lot of wear and tear injuries this year, especially for teams that have been hard hit with COVID stuff, right? Because they've got guys that are used to, you know, a couple of garbage time minutes, and then they've got to go out there and, and give you 25 in an NBA game. There's going to be some pulled hammies and worse. Um, I think the mantra for the league is just make it to the end. You know, we saw it with the NBA or the NFL this year, you know, just make it to the end. The NBA pulled the bubble together uh, at the end of uh, last season just to make it to the end of the season, get to the playoffs, 
conclude the season. And I think uh, that there is some sacrifice in that. Um, but it sounds like it's sacrifice that the, uh, the players association and the league ha- have come to in terms with um, Evan, you were talking about if the Spurs can go on a run there, there's two stretches looking at the season, uh, the second half of the season where I think that's possible. Uh, one is after the back to back with the Clippers, right? End of March, they go Chicago, Sacramento, Sacramento, Atlanta, Indiana, Cleveland. That's, that's not a bad stretch from there. They go at Denver, at Denver, at Dallas, at Orlando. If you split that Denver series, I mean, there's a chance they go seven and three in that run there. Uh, that's not too bad. And then following that, uh, the second half of the, the last two weeks of April at Toronto, Portland, at Phoenix, at Indiana, Miami, Detroit, New Orleans, at Washington, at Miami, at Boston, another, you know, nice stretch where they should be six and four, seven and three at the end of that uh, before heading into what is just a, a brutal gauntlet of final games there. Uh, I mean, playoff basketball for the Spurs starts two months early, right? You know, this is a the playoff scenario where, where they're, these are must win games based on the the um, the closeness we're seeing in the Western Conference standings and, and this uh, league is going to be ultra competitive there towards the end of the season um, but you know at the end of the day they will be playoff ready you know if it, it, it comes to that time when they do make the playoffs and, and that is a win I, I, I threw in there not an if so uh, yeah. you know gotta step up and um, yeah and this is something that we can probably attack um, over the all-star break in way more depth when it's a bit more pertinent, but the notion that the Spurs are going to make any deals or, um, you know, something substantial and, and move pieces at the deadline, I just don't see it. And it's because of what you said. I, I think the Spurs team is a playoff squad. All right. Now we can come back here next week and the Spurs might be, you know, over the last four. Uh, it's this stretch sucks. And it's going to completely, you know, on one hand, this is why you build a buffer, right? I mean, you know, this is why uh, with your finances, you have a savings account and you, you, you lose your job. You got money that you can go to while the next job comes up. So that's what the Spurs are doing right now. You know, they're pulling out of savings. They're just going to keep doing that and they're going to lose all their buffer. But having said that, the Spurs, when they're in rhythm and when they have everything working and stewing together with no injuries – they're an extremely dangerous team. They are, especially defensively. Yak, Derek, DeJounte, like, don't lose hope because this stretch sucks. You have to, like, all the anger and all the frustrations, like, I was saying to Tom before, the, uh, before we got on, like, it, like, this stretch stinks, not just because the Spurs are playing shorthanded, but it's like you have these frustrations of, like, oh, why are you not doing this? Like, why are you doing this? Like, ah, and then it's just, like, I can't get too angry. Look at these rotations. Look at the amount of people they have. Look at these guys. I mean, it's just really like these jigsaw puzzles don't fit at all. And you're just, you're just trying to survive it. So, um, you know, remember that playoff basketball is very important. Um, and having guys like Gay, DeMar, LaMarcus, Patty get you to playoff basketball to give these young guys playoff experience is invaluable. You know, if the, if the Miami Heat want to trade a first-round pick for Rudy Gay, you do it, okay? Easy. But I'm sorry. Like, I hear – I just read all this stuff on, on Twitter where people crap on LaMarcus. They crap on Rudy, which is unfair, by the way, at least in Rudy's perspective. It's uh, most cases. Uh, there's some critiques which are fair. But regardless, it's like, what are you, what are you getting? Like, 
what are you getting for them? You're not going to get what you want. And the Spurs aren't just going to give up Rudy for a second-round pick. They're just not going to do it. They've never done that. It's you either have to blow us away or we're going to stay pat. And, you know, no pun intended with the Miami Heat and staying pat. But uh, regardless, I just, I just don't see a deal working out. And, um, you know, unless somebody throws a king's ransom to take DeMar off San Antonio's hands, I think they're just going to keep DeMar and – you know, we'll talk again more at the All-Star break about hopefully the Spurs figure out a way to keep them on. Because I, I, I think he's a piece that should be, should be here for at least two to three more years. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, I mean, you look at all the cap space that the Spurs are going to have next year. Uh, they, they could – give DeMar DeRozan a significant chunk of change and still have some left over. So um, the way he's played, uh, you know, Pop said he was disappointed that he wasn't an all-star this year. Uh, we know DeMar's disappointed. We know DeJounte's pissed. Um, you know, he's, he's played at a really high level, DeMar has. And, um, you know, the, that last offensive possession probably looks way different last night if he's in there. Um, but you know, even, even if say, say the Spurs, you know, go on a a five game losing streak here because they are, you know, dealing with all of this stuff, um, they'd still be 500, right? Um, so they, they obviously for the, for as tough as the rest of the schedule is, they need to win as many winnable games as they can. They're not going to be able to you know, like the, the thing that killed them last year can absolutely kill them again this year if they lose games against opponents that they need to beat. Um, and it'll be a lot easier for them to lose to opponents like they sh- that they should beat, like we saw last night, if they're down six guys and, uh, you know, super-duper rusty. Um, but... I, I really think that, um, you know, the the loss kind of obscured the importance of, like, there. It's, it sure seems like there's a changing of the guard happening for San Antonio, where, like, it's, and it's not just LaMarcus Aldridge being benched, it's Jakob Pertl ascending to that role. Um, so, the the big thing that I'm watching for the rest of the season is how does he play in that role and how do the, how does the rest of the Spurs rotation look and adjust to that? Um, Cause I mean, like, like this is the kind of game that we can, we can look back at and like, if, if this is really the start of the Jakob Pertl starting era in earnest, the, cause he started before, but this is the first time he's ever started over a healthy LaMarcus Aldridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if this is the start of his career as the starter here and the game ends on a defensive mistake that he made and then afterwards he explains it and says, it's a learning experience for me and I'll do better the next time, um, I'm looking forward to a lot of next times with him. Because, I mean, you said it, Evan. Most of the time he's going to make a really good defensive play. Um, oh, hi, Shay. Oh, look at Pretty girl wants to get in like, a podcast. She's like, she's like, you guys talking about Jakob? <laughs> That's Jakob? her guy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, the, the 
change that a whole lot of people wanted and thought this will never happen. Seems like that's happening. So, yeah. um, oh man, she got big. Wow. <laughs> Downs now. Well, we're looking for a lot of next, looking forward to a lot of next time, next times with Jakob Pertl. Uh, and I hope that you guys are looking for a lot of next times with us here on the podcast on Big Fun Pod. Uh, you can find Great us. Twitter. Thank you so much. I, I always look for the, the hook there. So um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Big Fun Pod. Uh, Tom Petrini, where can the people find you? At Real Tom Petrini. And Evan? A lot of fakes out there. Uh, at Evan Klosky. I keep it real simple for you. And I'm at Jackson Kins 5. You can find Evan on TV on Kins 5, Channel 5 here in San Antonio. Uh, Tom Petrini is keeping it down on the digital side there, writing pretty good analyses of uh, things like the schedule there for you. And uh, yeah, excellent, excellent, yes. Uh, and uh, you know what? We'll see you guys next time. Yeah.